So we're going to get to the scripture now. Uh, if you could join me in the book of Ephesians, we will continue our series. Our series is called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's basically an instructional for believers who are following the Lord after salvation. And so you want to hear a lot of what's going on in God's plan for us. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today as we continue through the series. We're going to go verse by verse, and we'll be in uh, the verses 1 through 10 today. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Today's title of uh, the sermon is uh, From Separation to Saturation. From Separation to Saturation. And uh, we're going to be talking about God has a plan for once spiritually dead people. And that is where we're going to pick up here. And it says, we are separated by, from God by his, uh, from, from our sin, but we're connected to him by his grace. So salvation is a gift. We want to see what that looks like as we are reborn and remade into a vessel that can receive the gift. That's what we're going to be studying today. I had a uh, soccer coach who had a really great statement that he would say to us every year, and I didn't really understand it until I got to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Every year in South Florida in the heat, so we would get out there about August at noon, he would bring the, yeah, you're already groaning. It's May and we're groaning at August, right? Um, he would get us, make us go stand out in the, in, in the park and we would have to go fingertip to fingertip. And we couldn't reach down and slap a mosquito because you would have to run 10 laps. And not 10 laps around the, the soccer field, 10 laps around the entire park. And uh, he would do it. And I just remember there's this one kid, his name was Jordan. He was always last whenever we did laps. And I just remember him looking up with tears in his eyes and said, why are you doing this to us? And he was like, because, oh, I understand. He's like, I, I need to make you into a great soccer team. And he goes, no, but why are you doing this to me? And uh, specifically, he said, well, I have a story for you. And I just wanted you to hear it. I used to grow up, and he said, and I drove a, a VW Bug. And he's like, I love that Bug. But he goes, I was more in love with the idea of having a Cadillac. So I went to my dad, and I said, hey, I really want this Bug to become a Cadillac. How do we make that happen? And his dad looked him square in the eyes and said, we'll take it down to the factory, melt it down, and then pour it into the shape of a Cadillac. And that's how you're going to get it. And I never understood that in that moment. But what happened is when you're growing up, you finally understand at the end of the year, especially when we got to our first game of the season, when we destroyed the other team, is we realized that our coach was trying to take us from some kids that thought we were just going to go out there and go crazy into an actual sports team that could defeat another team by being united, by being strong, by being conditioned. What we're learning in Ephesians is the walk through this is God cannot take you as a sinful uh, vessel to make you into a vessel that can receive God's glory without there being a change. There has to be a change. And the entire uh, drive of this scripture is that our transformed lives testify. They give testimony to the greatness of God because we are not being able to, as dead people, to receive the glory of God until we are made alive. So join me in chapter 2, verse 1, and we will see how the Lord, as well as Paul, walks us through that transformation. It says in verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So something that we can see very from the beginning is that even though we are Christians, we come from a history of sinning, right? So that's actually the escape that we're making. And I will let you know, as even though I'm up here in the pulpit and I'm teaching, I come from a history of sinning myself, but I actually come from a genetic long line of sinners, going all the way back to Adam. 
And so what we're going to see here is that Paul and the Lord are going to take a very clinical approach to this particular passage and show us like a doctor what the diagnosis is. So he's going to identify what the problem is and see where that comes from. And then he's going to give us a prognosis. Now, a prognosis is the forecast of where the disease of sin is going to take you. If we continue on this path, the prognosis is this is where we're going to go. But there's also going to be a wonderful prescription. And what is that prescription? It's a fix to find out what the cure is to heal what you need. Now, specifically for me, this makes a lot of sense because at a young age, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. Some of you guys know that I've talked about this. Um, and as I got to know my doctor, I got to know the direction he was going to take me. And let me explain to you what this looks like. As I got to know my doctor, I came in and I was like, you have really high blood pressure. It's like stroke level. And I was like, well, you're a doctor. Give me that one pill that I take one time that's going to fix this forever. And he just looked at me and he goes, that ain't how it works. How it works is you're going to have to make some changes. And I was like, what do you mean? As long as I can keep eating all the butter, sugar, and bacon, I am on board with whatever you're saying. So we're of the right mind, right? And he said, no, no, no. You see, the problem comes from inside you, and we have to make changes from the inside out. And so as I got to know him, I realized that he initially, early on, he was going to say, I want you to make changes that give you a better life, which means I have to make a decision to follow through with what he's going to offer me, right? Here is the diagnosis. You have a problem, and here is the cure. Follow me through. But as I got to know him, I didn't come in and ask what he wanted to do next. What I started to ask is, am I doing good? Where should I go next? What other changes should I make? Because I realized that his cure was the right way, and my perception was off, so I had to follow the healer. I had to follow the direction of the healer. And that's what you're going to see. As you get to know your God, you're going to get to know his cure. Where is he going to take you? Well, here's the initial diagnosis we made in the first three slides. Uh, th sorry, the first three verses. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. There's a very distinct line that's being made here. The d disease is definitely sin, right? But we sin because the condition is we are sinners. That is the point blank. That's where we begin. And here lies the greatest issue that we face. We don't realize how good the good news is because we don't realize how bad the bad news is. I was sitting in the ER um, after having a, a fit of something. I don't know what happened to my body. And I remember the doctor looking at me before he sent me to my regular doctor. He says, you don't understand. I go, well, can I just drink some water? Can you hook an IV up to me? What's going on? He goes, you don't understand. Your numbers look like a stroke level. So we are going to do what we can to change, but you need to participate in this. And I was like, I don't get what you're saying. I'm 28 years old. That doesn't make any sense. He goes, no, I know you don't get it. That's why you're in this situation. But I'm here to inform you. And that's what the problem is, is that the problem starts with us. I don't know if you know this name before, uh, G.K. Chesterton. He's one of the funniest Christians I've ever read. He wrote a book called What's Wrong with the World? which you got to love him for that right now. Uh, so he wrote this book, and he has one of the greatest lines of all time I've ever heard. He says, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and then left untried. Uh, we give you kind of like a little translation of that every week is we don't believe we have a problem because we don't believe we are the problem. 
That's basically what he's saying. He's saying to people like you and me is sometimes that we struggle with our relationship with the Lord or we struggle with our Christian walk is because this particular moment go, well, I have some bad habits. I'm working on it. Or you know what? You know, I just have every now and then I like to dabble here and there, but you know, I get out of it or I'm okay. I just need some good advice. But the issue is that it's deeper and darker than that. We are sinners that are dead to the God of life. That's what these first three verses have just said. To be spiritually dead doesn't mean physically dead, but spiritually dead means I have been cut off from my relationship with the Lord. If I am dead to God, there is no life. If I am dead to God, then I am not listening. If I'm dead to God, I am not moving. And there's a great, huge fault line that runs between me and the Lord. Um, And you can see that in the two different words that we see in the first verse. Let's focus on that word. The first word is you. Don't you love that word when every time you see it in the Bible? As for you. So that who's that you? That's me. You point to yourself and say, that's me. That's to me. It's always me. And I always notice that the majority of time when I sit down and talk to anybody, like in a counseling session or discipleship session, no one ever thinks the problem is them. They think the problem comes from without. I had a buddy um, who went through about nine secretaries in about eight months. And we were like, man, what is going on with you? And he's like, you just can't find good help. Meanwhile, we're watching these ladies go. They either got moved or let go. But everywhere they landed, they went on to flourish. And so me and my friends are looking at all these ladies doing great with their life wherever they went. And then we looked back at him and we go, you notice there's a common denominator. It's you. It's you, buddy. And he's like, you think? And we're like, no, we know. Um, I think I would faint if I ever entered into like a marriage counseling session and both people started with this. Hey, you want to know something, Pastor Joey? The problem is me. I need to learn how to love this person better. And if the other person like, you know, that's true too. If the problem's me, I need to learn how to love them better. Can you help us? I think you'd probably have put smelling salts under my nose. No one ever starts the situation by saying, it's me. And that is a huge issue that we're seeing. The second fault line that we see that runs between us and the Lord in that first verse is, as for you, you were dead. Now, dead is crazy because it looks like this in two different ways. Dead in your transgressions and dead in your sins. That word transgression, we don't talk about enough. Sin, we know. Sin is something I shouldn't do, right? But transgressions are areas that God asked us to go. As a fence, I crossed it. There was a line, I ran right over it. There's a place, a no-no zone. I was running for it. That's what the Lord is saying here right now. He's saying, in your transgressions and in your sin, you became the chief character of sin, which is death. Now, spiritual death, let's define that. When you think of a corpse, what do you think of? You think of something that's lifeless. You think of something that's cold. You think of something, actually, that could even be petrified. It's full of decay, and it doesn't walk or talk. Sin is not an action. Sin is our condition. So a spiritually dead person cannot let the Lord invade. A spiritually dead person, their heart is cold and callous to what the Lord wants, right? Doesn't even want it to come in. Think about this. A spiritually dead person isn't full of life, but it is also full of not of growth. It's full of decay. It's the opposite. And a spiritually dead person does not answer when the Lord calls, does not go when the Lord sends. And that's the problem. Think of this, and I'll give you just a a moment of reflection, because I know we're all on fire for Jesus in this room, but think about this. Imagine if your neighbors, your coworkers, imagine the city of Sebastian, if every single spiritually dead person in this city was alive in Christ, what would the city look like? Be a different world, right? 
Imagine everybody spiritually alive in your family. Let's do one better. Imagine if every single person who stepped into this room to listen to a teaching was spiritually alive. What would this church look like? It would be a church that would be resisting sin and resisting death and running towards the Lord. So the first problem we definitely discuss right now is the problem of us. Now let's talk about the problem of the atmosphere that we're growing in. Look at the second part of verse 2. It says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, there's something very fascinating about that because we did talk about the, the internal. Let's talk about the external. The external is we do actually operate and live in a world that's full of sin. I think we can all agree with that all you have to do is turn on the news to know that, right? But also look at this, end of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That is going to be identified as Satan himself. So I want you to understand something. When we practice sin, when we habitually pursue sin, whether we're a believer or not, we are actually reflecting a relationship with sin that is equal to Satan's. That's what he's saying right now. Our practice of sin is in league with the enemy of God. And I know it can be very hard to imagine ourselves as Satanists because you're like, Joey, look, I don't draw pentagrams on everything. I don't wear red robes and go out into the woods and sacrifice little kittens. That's not what I do. But that's not what is required to be in league with Satan here. Actually, what the passage shows is that all we have to do is to be attracted to the weapons of temptation against what is good for the Lord by being one of those people that dabble in sin or practice in sin. And so what he's saying right here is that the moment that you give in is the moment that you're worshiping alongside, let's say this, we can say that it's Satan, but it's also death. It's also death itself. So you don't have to worship at a satanic altar to be worshiping alongside Satan. Now let's talk about what some of those weapons of temptation are. We're just going to do some basic ones. Uh, how about sex, money, and power? Now, all of those things in of themselves are not actually evil. We know that sex is actually good because there's 8 billion people in the world. If sex was terrible, there wouldn't be that many of us. That's just how good. And do we know that God created sex? Yes, he created it. For what purpose? For intimacy and for procreation. We know that to be good. But has man corrupted it? Now, is money evil? No, actually, money in and of itself isn't. The love of money is evil. Very learned crowd in here. You guys are doing really good. So money itself is not evil, but the love of money is evil. Correct. And so how about this? Power. Is power evil? No. Many of people in the Old Testament were given power by God to do great. And some people in the Old Testament did great things with power, and some people did corrupted things with power. But I will let you know this, that the moment that you take something good, and allow Satan to corrupt that in your life so it doesn't fit into the plan of God is the moment that you are no longer, like I said, I don't like this word dabbling sin. You are now in league with Satan, according to the scripture right here. And that's the problem is that a self-centered person thinks that they're okay to do whatever they want to apart from God, and that is not the truth. Satan stood in heaven as Lucifer, the, the, the leader of the choir of angels, and said, I should be worshipped just as much as God should be worshipped. And God didn't just strike him down because God was jealous or God was like, no, thank you. I don't like that smack talk. You know what God said? That's not true. There's no way for you to be worshipped on the level that I'm worshipped because I'm God and you are not. So it doesn't even make sense. And so Satan had to be removed from that place because he was no longer God-centered. He was self-centered. 
And that's something we have to see. The entire goal of Satan from that point on was not to infect you with sin to keep you alive, was to infect you with sin so that you would die. Spiritually be cut off from the God that he rejected himself. So that is a very deep and dark diagnosis. Happy Mother's Day. Look, it gets even better. Verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time. Here's the, here's the forecast. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, notice this forecast, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I used to think that God came in this world to save me from myself. I realized through this scripture that God came in this world to save me from him. We deserve wrath because we are the enemies of God through sin. And that's an amazing thing. You go, well, how can that be? Well, that's because if we knew that the Lord was God, or even if we pretended like we didn't know, but we just kept living anyways, we listened to our bodies instead of listening to God. And that's not to say that just our flesh itself is what's evil, but our very nature is evil, right? This is what we want inside of us. So let me give you this case in point. Um, our bodies sp- uh, spoke and we obeyed. We did not listen to God. We actually listened to our bodies over God, which when you put it in that perspective, it seems silly, right? But just think of when the cravings are powerful. So just think about this. Every single person has a sex drive that is put inside of them, right? That's okay. But when we take that sex drive and we try to put it in another place outside of God's plan, we have now effectively said, God, your plan does not work. I am a better God than you. And that is not true either. Let's think about this. I've stood before the Lord and said this. I have my tithe and offerings in my hand, but I really want to go play the lottery because it's up to the billions now. Remember when that, when it got to the billions? I couldn't play when it was in the millions, but I could play when the billions because I'm so rich, right? But I was like, well, but I could do such great things, God. But the Lord's like, I didn't ask you to play the lottery. I asked you to submit your heart, your mind, and all your resources to me. Would you do that? And that's a particular place where I could say that I skipped out, um, not last week, so don't send me any emails or anything like that, but previously in my life where I have actually stood at the fork of the road and made a good decision and made a bad decision. So like I said, money, sex, and power, these things are not inherently bad, but when we let them rule over our hearts instead of letting God rule over them, then we are playing with sin. Now, here is the prognosis. Here is the forecast. If we were just not dead and we were deserving in nature, Uh, deserving the wrath that God would pour out to us, we have to come to this conclusion that if we stay dead, we can never save ourselves. Understand this. Dead men cannot save themselves. We were dead, and we needed Jesus Christ to come down here to provide resurrection through the cross. So our first point is here. It says this. I need to be saved from God's wrath by God's love through Christ on the cross. Now, this is a very challenging word to me because it's the very person that I'm offending with my sin is the very person, is the only person who can save me. See how unique and uh, different that is from any other place in the world? All other world religions provide a path for you to find salvation through your works, through things that you can do. But Christianity, Christ alone says this, there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and it comes by me, and it's nothing you can do. It's only by my love that I selected you that you're able to receive. But how do dead men receive if they're not alive? Well, first, they have to be made alive. Just think about that. You can't even receive the blessings and promises of God unless the Lord comes into your life and is proactive. Uh, Today is Mother's Day, and we love and adore our moms, and I want to tell a Mother's Day story. Um, my, My family was one of the last families on the block to get cable TV. 
And I was so excited and so proud when we got that little black box with red channels on there because we went from four channels to 400. And I was just like, God has blessed us richly on this day. And my mom was like, I'm going to go to the grocery store. You want to come with me? I was like, no, we have cable TV. I must explore. So I jumped in there because people had it for years and we didn't. So we finally got it. And I remember my mom went to the grocery store. I'm like, she's going to be gone for a long time. So this is going to be great. I flipped through and I, I remember um, I ended up on something that I shouldn't be watching. And my mom came home early from the grocery store and she walked in and she caught me looking and she was like, Joseph Thomas Everington, my full name, you now know it. And that's when you know you're in trouble. And she said, you are a young gentleman. What are you doing? And I said, mom, can you believe the filth that they're putting on TV today. I mean, somebody's got to do something about this. And she ran over, and I'll never forget, she ripped the remote out of my hand, and she ripped the cable box out of the wall. And I was like, I didn't even know you could move that fast, Mom. But I just remember this. Um, from all the shame and guilt that is burned in my young, like, you know, 13-year-old brain, I definitely did not want to watch. Regardless of how much I wanted to watch it before, I did not want to watch it after when my mom walked in the door because I'm looking at her. I'm looking at what's on the screen. I'm looking back. I'm like, I, there's no way that I want these two to be in the same room at the same time. But I just understand this, is that it kind of makes a sense to us in, this, in our relationship with the Lord. The further we get away from God, the more that we are okay with the things that offend God. But the closer that we stick to God, the more that we go, no, no, I can't be a part of this at all if I'm standing right next to God. Here's a new flash. God is everywhere all the time, just so you know. Um, my mom was very sad, and she was disappointed, and she was very angry with me. But I do remember this one moment that just showed me how much she loved me as she poured into me and told me what her plan was for me and what she expects. I remember getting on the phone and calling the cable company and having that channel removed. As I stood there and I was like, yeah, you got to get all of them. Get them all off. Whatever's bad, just Christian programming and that's it, mom. That's all we need. Um, but that's the whole thing is that I was able to sit there and watch my mom stand there in front of me and say these words. I'm glad that we address this issue now. Just like when I walked into the doctor's room and he's looking at my blood tests and my blood results and he says, I'm glad we caught this now. Um, you can see how severe the problem is. And I think that's a problem for us, how we see the forecast of our salvation is we didn't know how close we were, not just to death, but how close we were to the wrath of God. And we don't sometimes see that. And I think it maybe even colors our worship and how we follow the Lord because we don't realize that we need to cling to God so close in all things, in every area. And I think that that's how we should see worship. And I don't mean worship by what the worship music and the singing that we did today, how we do everything. We should do worship with the mindset that the Lord saved us from death. But there's a fantastic little turn of events here in verse four. It says, because of his great love for us, a God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. I want to point out to the timeline there. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, the self-absorbed person doesn't let God in at all. The God-absorbed person lets this entire verse seep through their heart. I want you to look at these, focus on these three little words, 
rich in mercy. Some of you know that I love focusing on this because, I don't know, I grew up in the uh, early 80s and um, people used to watch the, the lives of the rich and famous, right? With Robin Leach. Does everybody remember that? And if some of you that do remember him, everything was, look at the life of luxury. Do you remember his name? Luxury. I love the way he said that. I used to stand in the living room. My mom would like, stop watching this. And I'm like, so great how he talks. But I want you to see that's how this word is saying. When it says rich in mercy, the actual translation is luxurious in mercy. How much mercy do you need for everything that you've committed in your life? Probably a lot of mercy. What if God were to say, I will take the riches or the luxury of my mercy and pour it out on you? Would that change your mind on how God feels about you? It's not an issue of punishment. It's not an issue of chastisement. It's an issue of God selecting you in his love and pouring out his rich mercy on dead people. And I want to remind you what mercy means. Mercy means not getting what you do deserve. You should have got hell. What did you get? Heaven. So that gives us no room to point to ourselves at any level and say, we did this. We could only stand here and say that the only favor that I have before you, the only favor that I have before God and all of heaven is what Christ did for me. There's a word in there. It's like, but God, right? Joey is a sinner, but God showed up in his life and made him a righteous man. Joey was wicked and bound for hell, but God snatched him out of the jaws of hell and delivered him to heaven. It's always with the words, but God. Um, I like to tell this story just because it's like an amazing story of my youth. Um, I used to go, you guys know sometimes I tell these weird stories about spending time at my grandparents' place in Parkland, Florida, where they had like 10 acres and they would run around. And they had all these dogs and everyone just gave us dogs. But there's one dog, it was a German shepherd and her name was Sheba. And she picked me out of the crowd. She just loved me. She took care of me. She like always around. And um, every time I would go out riding around Parkland, now this is the time of Parkland when it wasn't built up. This is when Parkland just had weird people that had farms and ostriches. Like this is eccentric people living all over. And so I would ride around and look at everybody's awesome stuff, right? And Sheba would go with me. And it was good because Sheba would protect me. But I remember one time, I don't know if my grandfather gave her a bone or something, or she was just off busy and she wouldn't go out with me. And there was a neighbor who lived across the street. He was a SWAT uh, director and he had a bunch of canine trained dogs. And they were huge and they were vicious and they were mean. And for some reason, they really, really hated when I put, do you guys remember this, putting a card in your spokes and it would make that noise? For some reason, that set them off. And I totally forgot about it. I was seven years old. I got on the bike and I started racing down the street thinking Sheba was going to come running with me, but she didn't. And I just remember how fast I saw those Do that Doberman and that Wattweiler come running down the driveway, pounce on me, and start ripping my jeans and my shoes off. And I just screamed as I laid under my bike as these two dogs attacked me. And I said, Sheba! I just screamed. And I'll never forget, it was like a movie. I was like this silhouette of this German shepherd jumping over me. And she pounced on those dogs. And she ripped them to shreds. And I remember she stood over me. And I was like, whoa, this is so amazing. And I just remember she had this, like, her hair stuck up on her back. And she had this, like, mohawk. I'm like, you can do that? That's, like, amazing. And she just said, I was like, I, I'm like, this dog is the best dog ever. And she saved my life. I truthfully believe it. If you saw the scars and the bites and everything, I was saved by her. And I want to let you know something. That dog got every treat it ever wanted for the rest of its life. Why? Because we had a special moment. She saved my life. I just want to ask you this. What would you do different, and how would you talk to somebody if they saved your life? It's like, it's like a moment where you can say, there's been a change. There's been a shift in the relationship. There's been a bond. 
I believe our worship suffers today because we don't realize how deep the bond is between us and God, the God that has saved us, the God who has saved us from death. We don't move with gratitude in this particular way because we don't fall in love with God because we don't realize how deep the rescue was. Remember I said, we don't know how good the good news is because we don't know how bad the bad news is. We are rescued not only just once but daily by the God of life. And that's why God brings his love, and it looks like this in this next point. I was dead in my sin, but I'm rescued, right? But I've been made alive in Christ in his grace to get ready to receive his great love. I couldn't even, I know this is lesser, I couldn't love that German shepherd if I was dead, but I was saved. I couldn't love God if I remained dead, but he made me alive to be what? To be a person who was stuck in relationship with him forever, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I have to remind myself of how beautiful that moment is that he exchanged his righteousness for my shame and guilt, that he exchanged his life for my death, and that forgiveness led to luxurious amounts of mercy and freedom that he would release me from the punishment of hell so I could receive the glory of heaven. He did that for me because he selected me. He selected you. Look at verse 6. I want you to see how we get to receive that great love. Verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Just think about this for a recap of where we've been so far. How low was the low? It was the bottom. It was death. It was spiritually cut off from God forever. How high is the high? VIP seating next to Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, next to God in heaven. Can you imagine this particular moment? I wanted to take it. I know this is like a lifetime that's lived, but I want to give like a little flash. Imagine you're sitting in hell covered in your sin. And Jesus Christ comes over and dusts you off and goes, follow me. And then you walk out of hell and you end up in heaven and an angel goes right this way and he moves the velvet rope. So you're not even in heaven. You're now in the VIP area and you're like, why is everybody looking? Why are we And we sit up front with Jesus Christ next to God, the best seat in the entire house. It's amazing to me that we would read these particular verses and think that God is a kind of God that doesn't have a great plan for us. He's going to make you a great advertisement to the riches of his love and his mercy expressed to us in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know something. Look at this next part where it says, God raised. It's past tense. Physically, on this world, you might be struggling with some of your sin. Physically, you might be struggling with some of your doubt and disbelief. But spiritually, you're already seated next to Christ. God is already moving on to the next thing. He's rescued you from spiritual death. He's made you alive. And now he's seated you in the right hand of the Father. What kind of way is God moving in this relationship? You are mine, and I am yours, and we are going forward into great things. That is the expectation and forecast of when you are in the Lord's grasp. And see, that's why we struggle with the here and now, because through our flesh is how sin enters. Not spiritually, but through our flesh. And so that's why we are here kind of feeling like there's a dichotomy in us, right? Like I want to do good, but my flesh wants to do bad, right? And that's why later on when we get new glorified bodies, like it says in the book of Revelation, we will no longer have problems because sin will no longer enter into our bodies, will it? We'll have a glorified body and a spirit that is in love with God. In the presence of God, there will be no sin. Now, the next three verses, I think, set the pace for our entire 
Christian walk, and I will let you know there are three of my favorite verses. But I also can say this. Without these three verses that are coming up, I don't think we'd really understand how awesome the good news is. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I love this because it's basically saying we were made alive in God's mercy by God's grace. Through faith, I'm now alive, and I can reach out and receive the gift of the Lord. Understand this, that dead men can't reach up to receive the gift because they're dead. So now made alive by Christ on the cross, I'm now able to receive all these gifts that God's pouring out. So is he pouring out punishment or is he pouring out gifts? He's pouring out gifts to the ones that he loves and has received them. And I want you to see how deep and wonderful this is. Look at Hebrews 10 on the screen, verses 22 through 23. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with what kind of assurance? Full assurance, complete assurance. Uh, so that the faith that brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What that verse doesn't say is that God called perfect people to have a perfect relationship with him. What that verse says is he called imperfect people to be cleansed by the blood of God, to receive the life of God. Now look at this next part. How does that affect our faith? Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly, I love that word, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You know what this scripture is saying to us right now? The reason that we're here drawing breath and we're celebrating our relationship in Christ is not because of the size or the intensity of our faith or the beautiful walk that we have. It's because of the size and the intensity of the faith that Jesus has. So if you look at yourself and say, hey, I'm not worthy, you're probably not. If you say, hey, I'm a sinner, you probably are. Take what you have and put the little faith you have and put it inside of his faith and say, Jesus, do what I cannot. Jesus, do what only you can do because I cannot. I don't trust me. I trust you because you are faithful. That is why we come in here and worship, not because we're faithful, but because he is. Because look, by his mercy, we didn't get hell. And by his grace, we got heaven. And we had faith in him to do all these things, not faith in ourselves. And that's why we can say to God every day, I am not perfect, but I am relying on him who is perfect. So that's why I say, Lord, I know you're powerful enough to save me. I know you're lovingly enough to cleanse me daily. Cleanse me, Lord, because I cannot. Which means, which brings us to our next point, resurrected people fully rely and follow on their resurrected Savior. You know what this looks like? I, I was going through some boxes in our house. Jackie and I, when we moved to Sebastian, we did what all people do when they're moving that's responsible. They throw everything they have in boxes and say, we'll unpack it when we get there. And then two years later, they're still sitting in boxes. So I opened up these boxes, and I actually found an old Devo of when I gave my heart back to the Lord. And some of you guys know my testimony. I got, you know, fell into a bad lifestyle, drugs, drinking, and overdose. And I had at the top of one of the uh, Devos I was doing that morning, it says, resurrected people should not pursue what killed them in the first place. What a slap in the face of the Lord to be resurrected just to run back to death. I wrote in there, they should follow their living shepherd into true living. Which means this, if we can follow God from death to life, you can follow him anywhere in your life. Right here, right now, 
in this world. That means you can follow him out of sin. That means you can follow him out of pornography. That means you can follow him out of crazy lies or toxic living or toxic relationships. It means you can follow him anywhere because he's leading you away from death to life. Not just life in the everlasting, but life in all things. God fully has a plan for you. And I want you to see in Colossians chapter 3 how it says, since then, once again, past tense, You've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Why? Because we are no longer dead men. We are living men living for Christ in the presence of a living Father who is pouring his life into us daily. Now, I want you to see how God moves with the greatest of expectation, expectation on his investment in you. I want you to hear, he just talked to me, he goes, well, hopefully, maybe, you know, some of these, hopefully you get some of the conditions of this. No, look at how he talks. Verse 10, for we are, that we can stop right there and look at how the beautiful that is, for we are, that's definitive. We are God's handiwork. Amen. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to see how deep that expectation is. He goes there. You know what? I don't just pull you out of the grave. I pull you upwards towards heaven so that you look like an ambassador of heaven. Isn't that amazing? This is kind of the crazy motivation is that word God's handiwork could be kind of translated in this way, God's masterpiece. Can you imagine you on your worst day and Jesus showing up and doing one of these moves? I can't wait till I make you one of my masterpieces. And you're like, are you kidding me? Are you looking at what I'm seeing? But the Lord says, you were once an instrument of sin and death, and now you are the paintbrush of life in my hands. And that makes me very excited to do this. I no longer want to say I, I'm trying to do good because I want to get to heaven. What I end up saying is I'm doing good because I'm already on my way to heaven because I am in the hands of the Father. Don't look at me, look at him. The spirit of the Lord is operating in me because I am the new resurrected me. And I did none of this on my own. I did this all for the, I mean, the Lord did all this for his place sake and not for salvation's sake. I didn't just save you so you could be saved. I saved you so that you could become the vessel of my glory. What an honor and privilege to look at something dead and dying and saying, I want to remove all the sin. I want to remove all the death and I want to pour the glory of heaven into you. This is why we know that God wants us to be words of affirmation of his relationship. Let me give you a case in point. When I first moved to Sebastian and uh, we got our first set of mail, we got tons of coupons for pizzerias all over town. And I'm like, whoa, look at all these great deals. How do I choose? I really love a, a nice pizza pie, but I mean, there's so many choices. What should I do? And I remember walking into the youth one day and I said, kids, I really need your help. This is serious business. I need to know where I go to get pizza in this town. And I'll never forget how all the kids, like, no kidding. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. They all turned to me with the most serious look in their eye. Like the most serious thing they're about to impart on me. Words of wisdom. They went, Pastor Joey, serious talk. There's only one place to get great Zaw in this town. And I said, where is it? And they said, and forgive me if this isn't your place, but this is what they said. Aunt Louise's. And they had a look in their eye and a little saliva on the side of their mouth. 
And I knew this to be true. So it didn't matter what the words on the paper said. It mattered what the experience inside of the person said. And when I looked at myself, I said, truly? And they said, truly. And I remember when my wife and I got there the first time, and we got that buttery crust. I don't know if you know that. They butter the crust. It gets a little crunchy. And we bit into that pizza, and we went, we are in the right spot. I just remember as cheese was coming out of our mouth, we are in the right spot. And I want to say this. The greatest affirmation is the experience that is lived inside of a person is word of mouth. God wants to turn us into bright, blazing advertisements, not into just who Jesus Christ is, but who he is in us. That's why in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it says these things. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. His. I want you to understand how powerful that statement is. Your shame and your guilt was nailed to Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're like me, every Easter, I like to bring out the passion of the Christ and cry. And then there's no Kleenex left in the house after one viewing of this thing. And I'm just like a pile of rubble on the floor. But I have to remember, there's a second part of that the ending scene where it's not just where he's killed and buried. There's a part where he's resurrected. And what's Jesus's life been like since resurrection? building of the church, sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit bursting forth and people getting saved, all because the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are united in this mark, uh, march towards life, right? And Jesus is no longer dead. He's no longer buried. Where is he? He is marching forward in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to look at the second half of that verse. It says, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. This is the calibration moment for you as a Christian. Does my life look like him after resurrection? This brings us to our final point, and we'll pray us out on this. It says this, now that I'm alive to Christ, I'm dead to sin. That means I have to officially actually be dead to sin. It means I have no hope for sin. I have no love for sin. I am hard-hearted towards sin, but my heart is soft and open to the Lord. And so this brings us to the very last part. What is those good works? Remember the good works that the Lord did? How good is Jesus? He showed up in a room and blind people started seeing. Deaf people started hearing. Sick people got up and started dancing around the room. Some of them even started cooking. That's how excited they were. Dead people were raised to life. Outcasts of society brought into a relationship. People that were foregone, ready to get stoned, were set free. All because Jesus showed up and did the good work. And now God says, I want to take the cure and put it in you. And not only that, I want to make you the cure. What an amazing thought. So our work now is to show a dead world what real living looks like with the God of our resurrection. Remember this today. Resurrected people don't return to what killed them in the first place. They run towards the God of life. They run towards the God of life. And this is why we need to emphasize this. Our worship should look like this. We are living on undeserved grace, and we are resurrected purely by divine love. And understand that divine love didn't just pull you out. It pulls you upwards towards heaven and fills you with purpose. And that's this, to no longer be filled with self, but filled with the God of life. I want to know, uh, just tell you this statement. I want to know what you think after service. If you tell me this. I heard an old-timey preacher say this. My grandparents used to have tapes. Can you remember cassette tapes? It was amazing. And I found him when I was listening to him. This one guy said a long time ago, in a world full of sin of death, and a sea full of sin and death, Christians are islands of light and life, hope, and Jesus Christ. If you were lost and you were tossed in a, in a sea full of sin and death, wouldn't you like to look up and see an island right there ready to receive? 
The world is looking into this church, is looking into your heart, is looking into your life to see if the God of life is really true because they have enough death to fill this world. So let us do this. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to transform our lives into the testimony that we are now vessels of glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that we stand before you dead people that have been resurrected in Christ. And Lord, I thank you that in this place and in this time, you have selected us to be your billboards of bright blazing light of hope. Lord, we ask that you see us where we're at right now. Forgive us of our sins. If we feel dead, if we feel cold, if we feel cut off, we confess everything to you. You already know. And we say, Lord, move into our life. Resurrect our being. Resurrect our soul. Make us new. Do what we cannot do because only you can do it. And so we lay at your feet and say, Lord, we give it all to you because in your hands we become life. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that me, everyone in this room, everybody listening, that we become the testimony of the grace of God that brings him glory because only him was the one that came down and reached into our dead life and made us alive. Lord, we are good because you say we are good. We are alive because you say we're alive. And we live for that purpose. And we love you as you love us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.